Let's read from Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In our last reflection, we saw how Peter challenged his readers to supplement their faith with seven qualities. And our faith in Jesus Christ is just the beginning. It's the foundation upon which we must build these qualities. And so Peter encourages us to build on the foundation the qualities of virtue, or goodness, that is, knowledge, self-control, and steadfastness. Now, in this message, we want to continue to examine three more qualities that Peter wants us to build or add onto the foundation of faith we have in Jesus Christ. Peter moves on to tell us that we need to add to our faith in Jesus Christ the quality of godliness. Now, what is godliness? Well, some would say that godliness is a respect for God and his ways, that we recognize that there is a God and honor what he says in his word. Now, we can go back a few years in our culture where people did not question the existence of God and they did their best to live according to the teaching of, of the Bible, and these individuals were considered to be godly. Now, the question we ask ourselves, however, is whether this is what Peter's talking about when he speaks about godliness. Well, you see, godliness affects more than our outward actions. The Pharisees of the New Testament would be considered godly according to this definition, but Jesus speaks more harshly of this group than any other. Their pious outward actions and respect for God did not make them godly. Godliness goes much deeper than, than the surface. Now, this week I was uh, performing an act of service, and as I was doing so, I, I found myself being somewhat resentful and bitter that no one else was helping and, and, and didn't seem to care. Well, what I was doing was right on the outside, but my heart was not right. And God began to convict me of that attitude and, and show me that my act of service was being hindered by the turmoil and sin on the inside. 
that I was not godly on the inside. You see, godliness goes beyond external actions and deeds. It comes from a heart that's in tune with Christ and his purpose, fully in tune. It it flows from a mind that is right with God. Godliness is rooted in a relationship with God. But more than this, it's a work of God in us and through us. It's the work of God's Spirit transforming our minds and a heart. It's the power of God's Spirit enabling us to overcome the flesh. It's our surrender to the conviction of God's Spirit in our lives. There are many good people in the world, but goodness and godliness are not the same thing. You can be good and not godly. Godliness requires a work of God. Godliness requires the presence of God. There's no godliness apart from God. Godliness assumes that God is in us. It assumes that we're taking the very character of God, that that his presence is in our attitudes and actions. Now, can you separate water from ice? Can you separate heat from fire? Well, then neither can you separate God from godliness. Because God is the very essence of godliness. You want more godliness? You need more of God in every part of your life. He must have more of us. He must be in control of our actions and our thoughts and our attitudes. He must be in it all. Only then can we have this quality of godliness if God is in every part of our life and thought and attitude. The next quality we need to add to our faith, according to Peter, is brotherly affection. And so we read, in godliness with brotherly affection. The word used for affection here is Philadelphia. It comes from two Greek words, philos, meaning love, and delphos, meaning brother. The word philos, speaks of a relationship with a friend. It implies kindness and compassion and respect. It also has a sense of brotherhood or sisterhood, a a shared experience. The idea is that we're not alone in our Christian walk, that we have brothers and sisters who walk with us. And those who show brotherly affection reach out to each other in kindness and compassion. To show brotherly affection is to be sensitive to each other. Pride and self-centeredness is the opposite, in fact, of brotherly affection. And those who love in this way are sensitive to the needs of each other and seek to relieve those needs. It encourages and builds up brothers and sisters. Now, does it surprise you that that Peter tells us to add this particular quality of brotherly affection to our faith? Well, consider this for a moment. How many churches have been destroyed because this brotherly affection was not present? How many people have felt rejected and alone because no one seemed to care for them? Doesn't Jesus say, but this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another? Consider the example of Jesus who spent time with the outcasts. He cared for those 
Others reject it. Consider Peter himself who, who denied Jesus three times. What would it have meant for him to experience the brotherly affection of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus at this time? Consider also the, the words of Jesus when he, when he speaks in Matthew 25 verses 43 to 45 and says this, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then then they also will answer saying lord when did we not see when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you then he will answer them saying truly i say to you as you did not do it to the least of these you did not do it to me what is the demonstration of brotherly affection and, and a kindness to, according to Jesus? Well, it's closing those who are naked. It's visiting those who are in prison. It's feeding the hungry. It's giving water to the thirsty. Jesus tells us that what we do for others, we do for him. And what we do not do for others, we do not do for him. Caring for each other is not an option. We must do this for Jesus. Brotherly affection needs to be the mark of every church. It's often grieved me that people come to church hurting and leave hurting because no one ministers to them. We, we can sing and pray and all that we want, but if there are hurting brothers and sisters in our midst, we do not minister and we do not minister to them. We have failed the Lord by telling us that doing unto others is doing unto him. The Lord shows us that if we want to honor him, we must demonstrate brotherly affection to each other. The final quality that Peter tells us to add to faith is love. And brotherly affection with love, he says. The word used here is the word agape. Agape love is not the same as philos or brotherly kindness or affection. The, the complete word study dictionary says this about agape love. It involves God doing what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. Agape love can sometimes be tough love. It means caring enough to confront sometimes. At times it may mean doing the hard things out of love. Sometimes it may mean laying down our lives for a friend or even an enemy, just as Jesus did. At other times it will mean persevering without any love shown in return. This kind of love pushes through the difficulties and trials. It endures pain and rejection and remains faithful. There, there may be no thanks or recognition for our devotion and care, but agape love perseveres when there's no thanks. It forgives when there's no hurt. It continues to honor those who show no respect. This is not an easy love. It shows tenderness in abuse, it, kindness in pain. It will not give up on those it loves. It is one of the deepest forms of love. It's a love, the love of God towards you and me when we fail him. It's the love of God towards those who are unworthy of that love. It's a love that is only possible because God is in it. It's not a love that comes naturally to us. It is a love, however, that demonstrates the presence of Christ in us. 
And all too many churches are destroyed because this kind of love is unknown among its members. This love enables us to forgive. It loves the imperfect and unworthy. It will not give up on each other. It is the love that God demonstrates every single day to you and me. Now, I want to assure you that if you cannot love with this a kind of love, we will fail as a church. There will be times that I fail to be the pastor I need to be. There will be times when we don't agree. There will be times when we hurt each other. There will be things that we say or do that offend. But agape love will not give up on one another. It will continue to honor one another. This is the love that we must receive from God, for it is not natural to our flesh. And there will be uh, many times when we need to confess our agape love. And instead of blaming what someone else did to us, we need to confess our agape love, the lack of agape love that wants to just turn our backs and give up on a brother or sister. Or the, the lack of agape love that develops an attitude of resentment and bitterness towards someone else. Agape love, a love that perseveres and continues despite the pain and hurt, a love that forgives and honors, just as Jesus did for you and me. Peter tells us that we need to add this kind of love to our faith. Now, Peter concludes this section with some general comments about these qualities that we are to add to our faith. And he has a few things to say about these qualities before concluding this section. And the first thing that Peter wants to tell us is that these qualities, as we add these qualities to our faith, they will keep us from being unproductive. Listen to what he says in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter tells us that if these qualities are ours and are increasing, they will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to be productive in the Christian life? You need to add these qualities to your faith. When we do not add virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love to our faith, we will always have something lacking. We will never reach our potential. Now imagine baking a cake but not putting the right ingredients in it or omitting certain ingredients. I'm not a baker, but even I know that the result will not be good. If you want to grow in your Christian life and be productive, all seven of these ingredients must be in the mixture. There are no shortcuts. If you want to be productive, all of these qualities must be in your life, and you need to be building these qualities into your life. Next, Peter tells us that if we have, if we lack these qualities, we've forgotten that we've been cleansed from our sin. 
Look at what he says in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. Now tell me this. Why have you been saved? Is it so that we can continue to live as we always have? Did Christ die so that we could be the same as we were before he, he died? Did he put his spirit in us so that we can ignore him? If we're not growing in these qualities, that's what we're doing. If we're not allowing the work of Christ to transform us, we dishonor his work. He died for us. He, he gave everything so that these qualities could abound in us. Don't go through life never being transformed. Don't let pride and sin keep you from becoming like Jesus Christ. Don't forget that he came so that you could become a new person. Don't dishonor his name by resisting what he wants to do in you. Honor him by making it your heart heart cry to become everything he wants you to be, and by building onto the faith that he has given to you, these seven great qualities that Peter challenges us to add to our faith. Finally, Peter tells his readers that these qualities in them would bring assurance of the genuineness of their salvation and keep them from falling. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an, ent an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you want to know the genuineness of your faith? Well, you search for these qualities in your life. Do you want to stand firm in the battle before you? Make sure you have these qualities. Lack of these qualities will, will lead you to sin. Lack of these qualities will ultimately destroy your ministry. Those who excel in these seven qualities will be unashamed as they stand before God. Those who have these qualities will have great assurance of their salvation as they allow the Spirit of God to produce these qualities in them. They'll be drawn ever closer to the Savior. As these qualities abound, their, their service for the Savior can only increase and be more productive. God is not looking for just anybody to serve Him. He's looking for those who will allow Him to mature the qualities of goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love love in them. And only then can we truly be all that he has called us to be.